Mama, we're all full of lies Mama, we're meant for the flies And right now they're building a coffin your size Mama, we're all full of lies Chapter 4 I let go with my sticky pincher fly feet. I buzzed my gossamer wings and lifted up off the visor's metal case. Up, circle back and away toward... Shroop! Wind! Or tornado of wind! My wings beat with a speed only an insect could achieve. But I was too close. A vent. Ribbed steel. As high as a ten-story building to me and twice as wide. Air cleaner. Industrial strength. Suction. Suction like a vacuum cleaner. Wham! I hit a metal crossbar. Then I was through, hurtling down an aluminum shaft. And now, concentrated in the enclosed space, the air current was unbelievable. Ah! I was spinning, out of control, wings almost useless. And I wasn't alone. Pieces of lint and human hair. Dust and the circles of paper a three-hole puncher leaves behind. An assortment of dazed mosquitoes, gnats, and other flies. All zooming around me like the tornado scene from The Wizard of Oz. All of it shattered into the thousand tiny TV sets of my fly eyes. All of it in weird, distorted colors. I tumbled faster and faster toward a giant filter. Bundles of flying bug parts and lint were scattered at its base. There was only one thing to do. Demorph! I started growing almost immediately, and almost immediately I stopped tumbling. Anything over the weight of a flicked booger pretty much cancelled out the power of the industrial strength air cleaner. My wings shriveled and sucked into the now supple skin under my shoulder blades. My eyes rotated from the sides of my head back to the front of my face. Two fly legs shot back into my chest. Floop, floop. My other fly legs rotated to where my human legs and arms should be, and everything started to grow. Suddenly, I realized that the aluminum shaft that had seemed as big as the school gym when I was a fly just might not be big enough for my human self. Getting trapped like a big chunk of a Snickers blizzard in a straw was something I was not prepared for. I pushed my now-human arms in front of me and thrust my legs behind me. I lay fully extended on my stomach in the air shaft. And then, I stopped demorphing. I was me. For once, I was grateful to be a little on the short side. Still, I was trapped inside a very dusty air vent. I slithered down the square metal tube, away from the filter, toward a light beaming across the shaft. I pushed myself forward with my toes, and pulled myself along with my fingers, trying hard not to panic. The light was coming from a vent high on the wall of an office. I gave the grate a whack and it opened downward like a miniature door. I was a good eight or nine feet in the air. I lowered myself head first. Slowly. Slowly. Keys jingled outside the door. I dropped fast, forcing myself into a head-over-heels tumble as I fell. Bam! Right into a wastebasket. Three points, I whispered to myself. 
The door to the office opened just as I scurried into the second room, a big windowless square full of gray cubicles. Hello? Lights popped on. Mr. Grant? Footsteps, slow but coming my way. I had no choice. I had to morph Mr. Grant. I dashed into an empty cubicle at the back of the room and felt the changes begin. Morphing a fly may be gross, but morphing a human being is far more frightening. Not to mention morally suspect. In this case, morphing an adult male was like getting an unwanted glimpse into my own future and realizing that my future was not pretty. The first thing to change was my stomach. It grew out and around until the seams of my morphing suit began to tear. My thick, gorgeous hair was sucked into my broadening skull. I slapped a hand to my head. A receding hairline! A balding spot right on top! I watched as the skin on my hands wrinkled slightly. Pale blotches sprinkled themselves across the knuckles. I touched my face with the ugly fingers. Wow! Rough! At this rate, I'd have a five o'clock shadow by noon! My butt! I turned my double-chinned neck as far as it would turn and saw over my thick shoulder a wide protuberance and my bike shorts and shreds. Panic set in. I was pretty sure I hadn't grown taller, but man, had I gotten wider. Mr. Grant? Yes? I yelled, sticking my balding, slightly grizzled head over the cubicle partition. The woman stood in the doorway of the second room. Uh... Are you okay, Mr. Grant? She took another step inside. No! I shouted. I mean, don't come in. I'm very busy. I'm just fine. You were working in the dark, Mr. Grant. Are you sure? Yes, I'm fine, thanks. I'll be done here in a few minutes. I babbled. Another step closer. Why are you at Carlos's desk? Good one. I thought fast. Oh, uh, well, there's something wrong with my computer, so, uh, I thought I'd borrow this one. Uh, could you get me a cup of coffee from the Starbucks on the corner, please? The woman's eyebrows quirked, but she turned and headed for the door. Sure, Mr. Grant, I'll be right back. Thanks, thanks a lot, I said, ducking back behind the cubicle partition. Yow! Too close. I waited until I hoped the woman had gotten on the elevator and sprinted from the cubicle. Time to find a place safe to demorph and get the heck out of this building. The men's room. I flung open the door to the hallway and ran smack into... Ugh! I yelled. Mr. Grant! What the... Was all he got out before he slumped to the floor. I shot a glance up and down the hallway. No one... Oh man, oh man, Jake is gonna kill me, and if he doesn't, Cassie will. I hefted Mr. Grant to a half-sitting position and dragged him across the hall into a broom closet. It was like moving one of those stones they used to build the pyramids. The man liked his pastry. I shut the door behind us and tried to catch my breath. Hard to do when you're panicking on several fronts simultaneously. I propped him up against a mop bucket on wheels and started to undress him. Quickly, I changed into Mr. Grant's blue suit. Well, all except the tie. I have no idea how to tie one. When I was dressed, I opened the broom closet door, looked both ways, then scooted as fast as Mr. Grant could to the elevator. A moment later, the elevator door slid open and I burst inside. 
I was out of there. Chapter 5 It was almost lunch period by the time I'd gone home, changed, and got back to school. Now, getting into school late is not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it can be done. Luckily, our school has no guards or metal detectors like they have in the high schools. All I had to worry about was the stray teacher or kiss a pole monitor. I leaned around the front door. Nobody. Just the janitor. But his back was to me, and he was wearing headphones. And doing this weird kind of shuffling dance as he pushed a mop across the vomit green linoleum tile that is our school's main hallway. I slid around the door jamb and booked the other way down the main hall. I could see the tops of teachers' heads through the windows in the classroom doors, but knew they couldn't see me. Another benefit of being vertically challenged. I made it to my locker undetected. A second later, the bell for lunch period rang, and the halls were mobbed by kids charging out of class. One of them was Jake. I dropped my math book. He picked it up. Jake, you really do care. Where have you been? He demanded. Guess who I saw? I whispered, pulling a notebook at random from my locker. Jake sighed. Marco, just tell me. Marco! A hand clapped on my shoulder. So nice of you to join us today. My pleasure, Mr. Chapman, I said. I would never want to miss a day of learning. Jake gave me a, this is your problem, look, and sauntered away. Uh, amusing as always, Marco. Where might have you been? I called your home. No answer. No answer at all. I was... with my father. Oh, really? Yes, Mr. Chapman. It was take your son to work day at his office. Then I suppose you won't mind me calling him at work. Not at all, I bluffed. Would you like the number? Chapman looked me up and down. If he called my dad, I was busted. Big time. He'll be in meetings all afternoon. That's why I came back to school, I added. But you could leave a message on his voicemail. Just get where you're supposed to be, Marco. Yes, sir. I should have said, Yes, you yurt-carrying freak. But that would have been fatal. To me. Telling Jake about Visitor 1 would have to wait. In the cafeteria, I passed a note to Rachel. Barn. After school. Good news and bad. I sat at the end of a lunch table and ate my pizza alone. Ignored the minor food fight going on at the table to my right. Vaguely noticed the pimply kid slurping some gross yellow soup from a plaid thermos at the other end of my table. Thought for two seconds about the history test I was going to fail that afternoon. Wondered if Chapman was going to bring up my cutting school and failing my history test at the next parent-teacher conference. Considered whether I'd rather spend my life working at McDonald's or Burger King after I got expelled. But my mind wouldn't stay on any one topic. Nothing really mattered, did it? Nothing except one extraordinarily complicated, amazingly wonderful fact. My mother was alive. Alive! I saw Rachel giving me the fisheye from across the room. I mouthed that one word. Alive. Evidently, Rachel doesn't read lips. She misunderstood what I'd said and responded by mouthing two words I won't repeat. But I didn't care. No one could blow this one moment of relief for me. She was alive, and someday, somehow, 
by some miracle I could only fantasize about, she'd be my mom again. Chapter 6 Marco, Cassie said, tell us why we're here. We, being four kids, a bird, and a furry blue alien. Freaks is our name. Saving the world is our game. This morning, I skipped school and took the bus downtown. I shot a look at Jake. And before anyone jumps down my throat, I know it's dumb to call attention to myself, so sue me. Anyway, I was trying to avoid being trampled by the wingtips when I saw my... Visser 1. She was in disguise. A terrible wig, blue contacts, and big square glasses. But it was her. Oh, man, Jake said. Are you sure it was your mother? Oh, yeah. I got a great look at her right before I was going to trip her. You were going to trip your mother? said Cassie. Yes, because she knocked me down with this big metal briefcase. It doesn't matter. What matters is that it was Visser 1. My mother. In disguise. You sure she didn't recognize you and knock you down on purpose? Rachel demanded. Yeah, I said. Anyway, she thinks I'm a controller. Remember when we went after the Yurks underwater complex? Don't forget, we spoke. She thinks I'm one of them. So why would she smack me, unprovoked? And if she knew the truth about me, she'd have done more than just knock me down. And what was the brilliant motive behind skipping school? I'm an adventurer, Rachel, I said. Much like Daniel Boone, Magellan, Marco Polo. I will not rest until I've explored every alley, every nook, every cranny of this big, crazy world of ours. Not funny, Mr. Polo, she snapped. You could have gotten us in big trouble. What is a cranny, exactly? Tobias wondered from his perch above us. So, Visser 1 is alive, Axe said coldly. This is not good news. The corollary, Axe. My mother is alive, too, I pointed out. I followed her into the Sutherland Tower. She's got an office on the 22nd floor. What do you think she's doing in there? Cassie said. I shook my head. I didn't stick around to find out. The last time we saw Visser 1, Jake mused. Visser 3 saw us. The enemy. Spare her life. If Visser 3 understood that we spared Visser 1, he would conclude that she is a traitor, Axe said. Which explains the disguise, I agreed. But she'd still need access to a yurt pool, to Condrona Rays which Visser 3 wouldn't allow if he thought she was a traitor. Obviously. So... So somehow she's alive. Somehow she's getting Condrona rays, Rachel said. The question is, why? Cassie said. Why what? Why is she here, on Earth? Look, we know going way back that Vissers 1 and 3 are enemies. Visser 1 let us escape from Visser 3 early on. Visser 3 must have suspected she was behind that. Then he's got the fact that we let her live when we could have finished her off. So we must want her bad. So why is she walking around downtown? I mean, wig or no wig, Earth isn't a safe place for her. Rachel grinned. Come on, it's obvious. She's here to take down Visitor 3. Why else? It's her only way out. Take down her main enemy, then get herself straight with whoever is above them both. I nodded. It made sense. Triggered Rachel to understand the mind of Visser 1. 
Whatever her exact motives, it's bad news for us, Cassie said. Not necessarily, Jake said. Warring Vissers are a lot easier to handle than Vissers united against us. Divide and conquer, Axe agreed. We may be able to use the feud between the Vissers to our advantage. Jake nodded. First step, find out what's in that office. She's on 22, third door to the right off the elevator, I said. We might be able to gain access from the roof, Axe suggested. Tobias? Yeah, I know the Sutherland Tower, he said. There's a door on the roof that probably opens on a staircase leading to the top floor hall. There's a padlock, but the door is pretty rickety. We should have no problem getting in. Flymorph? Cassie said. Up to the roof as bird. Demorph. Morph a fly. Not recommended. I had a bad experience with the ventilation system today. But a fast, heavier bug would work. One that can go under doors and through walls. You mean... That's right. I grinned. Everyone's favorite house guest, the wily cockroach. We do this right away, Jake directed. Tonight. But I'm out. Family function. Me too, Rachel said, rolling her eyes. I promised my mother I'd babysit for Jordan and Sarah, and I have blown my mom off way too much lately. I hate to do this, Cassie said. But I'm out too. I am one test away from getting a D in math. If I get a D, my parents will be in my life 24 hours a day. Axe and I are available, Tobias said. No families, no homes, nothing to do but watch the owls eat my mice. Axeman and I will handle this. And me, obviously, I said. Jake looked at me. What about your dad? Cassie asked quickly. She was trying to give me an out. What about him? He's been working 12-hour days on a big project. He comes home, he plops on the couch, he watches ESPN. He'll never know I'm gone. Jake continued to look at me. Rachel looked away. There's the problem of Visser 1 inhabiting your mother's body, Axe stated bluntly, and the temptations that seeing her again might arouse. Leave it to Axe to be blunt. Axe is right, Marco, Cassie said. Coming face to face with Visser 1 again will be hard for you, and dangerous, for all of us. Did I give myself away on the Royan Island mission? I demanded. Or today? First time pretty close, Rachel muttered. No, not pretty close, I snapped. I didn't, and that's the fact. There was an awkward silence. I don't believe this crap, I said. We've been through this before. The mission comes first. Personal hang-ups, second. I'm in. I'm going. Period. Jake sighed. Okay, Morgo, Axe, and Tobias. Tonight. He looked at me. Don't do anything foolish. It's reconnaissance only. I nodded. And if it comes to a judgment call, Tobias makes the call. That caught me off guard. But there was no point arguing. In Jake's place, I'd have done the same thing. No problem. Jake came and took my arm and drew me with him outside into the afternoon sunlight. I cringed. I knew what was coming. I noticed a certain lack of details about what happened today, Jake said. Which tells me you did things that I probably don't want to hear about. 
Yeah, you probably don't. I tried out a Devil May Care grin. Not a big success. Jake folded his arms over his chest and looked down at the ground in silence. Then, up at me. Jake has changed a lot over the months we've been fighting this little war. The look he gave me did not come from my boy Jake, my bud, my pal. It came from a battle commander. Freaky seeing how old Jake has gotten. Marco, you're my best friend. But if you ever go off like that again, you and I will have serious problems. In the old days, I'd have said, bite me, or something equally brilliant. Now, I said, okay, understood. It was all I could do to stop myself from saying, yes, sir. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, and we are starting to get into it on book 30, uh, moving out of the preliminary chapters, getting into the plot. But uh, I don't have too much to speak about on that front, but I do have several messages I need to read out. The first one is a brand new addition to our Platinum tier membership. Um, you become a Platinum uh, member, subscriber, uh, valued patron, whatever you want to call it, uh, by donating to my server fees. Uh, you can find a donation link, uh, by which I mean a link to my PayPal, on my website. Uh, that's theapodcalypse.com. The Apodcalypse, like Apocalypse, but with the D in the middle. And this is from my actual personal friend, Brittany, <laughs> um, who graciously donated some money and uh, attached the message, Platinum Phantomorph, baby! Also, you should have an Animorphs discussion podcast called Danamorphs. Um, I have not, not considered uh, having some sort of, like, discussion after show, right? If I were to, uh, sorry, there's, I think they're, I think they're taking out the trash, like, right outside my window, if you hear that, I'm sorry. Um... But uh, I have thought about doing the sort of an after-show sort of discussion podcast. Um, if I were to ever open a Patreon, I think that's what the Patreon exclusive content would be, would be that show. Oh, the garbage truck's getting louder. Sorry, we're going to power through because I do not want to... I already restarted this recording twice because uh, I flubbed uh, my intro. I'm a little out of sorts, I think, today. Um, so we're just going to be pushing through. I'm sorry about the noise. Um, the, the, the main thing stopping me... Uh, in conclusion, is that I uh, don't have a permanent co-host to this project. It's just me, and in a lot of ways, I prefer it because I don't have to schedule on anyone else's stuff. Um, and I can, and, you know, it begins and ends with me. Um, but if I were to do, I absolutely lied. It got louder. The dumpsters, like, actually directly beneath my window. Um, so I paused while that finished up, and we're back now. So as I always say, I don't have a co-host, um, and that's kind of. The main thing preventing me from doing this, I don't have a co-host, I don't want to ask, the mortifying ordeal of asking someone a favor, um, yeah, and, and that's mostly why I haven't done it. Also, I don't know that I have that much to say about these books other than I enjoy them, but, you know, if I, if we were to do one, that's a great name, I would take that name and create an after show, but, um, we'll see how it goes, I guess, you know, uh, maybe, maybe one day I will start a Patreon and then be forced to make an after show, um, we'll see it, I'm, We'll see in another three months how my job search is going, huh? It might be time. Anyway, uh, that was Brittany Means. Her book, Hell If We Don't Change Our Ways, is now out. Um, a riveting and heart-wrenching memoir. So, so good. Uh, available at all major book retails. And also possibly at your local bookstore. Go ahead and ask. Um, can't recommend it enough. Thank you so much for donating, Brittany. 
Um, and hope life's going well for you. I also have a couple messages uh, coming in through the Tumblr. That's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. Uh, the I've got one, two technically, but one from um, Ryan Moss on Tumblr. Uh, the first part is, I like your taste in music. Wow, thank you. I actually, um, I don't think I have that good of a taste in music, to be fully honest. Um, I, I think I listen to a lot of weird stuff that uh, people who listen to the same genre as I do tend to think are like the poor side of that. I, I don't know. Uh, music's never been super important to me. It's just something I enjoy. So I don't like, I don't. I, I don't feel bad saying, like, I have weird or bad taste in music. My uh, favorite example is, once upon a time, there was a website that uh, allowed you to, like, make a little avatar, and you'd go into a little room with, like, a DJ set, and people's little avatars would hop on and take turns uh, playing tracks uh, for the rest of the room to enjoy. And so I found a pop-punk room uh, and got in there, and they were playing Say Anything tracks. And I was like, great, love Say Anything, fun band. Uh, I'm here for a good time. Let me hop in here and spin a track. And I played uh, that Death for My Birthday song. And the entire room of like 15 other Say Anything heads were like, oh yeah, this is like the worst Say Anything song. <laughs> um, and, you know, Say Anything being a pop punk band in, in a genre that is generally uh, derided by other <laughs> other musical genres as being the bad genre and so even among the bad genre i have bad taste uh is what i'm trying to say same thing happened with star trek actually my favorite star trek the first star trek i've ever seen was voyager and everyone thinks voyager is one of the worst series i don't disagree now that i've seen more star trek but um it holds a special place in my heart seven of nine was very hot when i was 14 uh <laughs> but thank you for liking my taste in music i'm glad someone does um well, then the other part of this message, or the second message, was just that, uh, wow, you dealt with that much, that being, um, that Israeli-Palestine message I got last week. Uh, if you listen to the, like, 20 minutes I spent babbling on about that, thanks, I guess. Um, but you handled that much better than I would have. I'm very impressed. The message went worse than I was expecting, and I was expecting it to be pretty bad. Uh, yeah, those videos I had to watch were not good. Um, I will say that was pretty bad. Uh, the other private message I got regarding um, the Israeli-Palestine conflict was a lot more... Uh, I don't want to say, like, was less propaganda, I guess, is, is the politest way I can say. Uh, we weren't talking about the, like, inherent evil nature of the Arab soul or whatever that was, you know? Um, but thank you, Briar, for writing in and enjoying my tasty music. I also got one, uh, from a Jimmy that says, Just wanted to say your audiobooks are amazing. I started them last week and I'm currently on book 10. I never got to read through the entire series before, and the work you're doing is making my inner child insanely happy. Thank you. Please keep doing what you're doing. You may, you make my work days bearable. Hey, thanks so much for enjoying what I do. You won't hear this for a while longer, it sounds like. But um, I appreciate the message, Jimmy. I uh, hope you keep on enjoying it. And last, but certainly not least, is our old friend Willis, who writes in, Yo, I got COVID. I'm so sorry to hear that. It's a nasty one, folks. Uh, COVID's still out there. I know most of our countries have just sort of given up and let us all fend for ourselves, but uh, stay safe when you can, because long COVID is still real and still very scary, 
uh, and bad. <laughs> so I hope you pull out Willis with um, no lasting uh, ramifications. But then uh, Willis has a favorite here and says, I think it would make me feel better if you gave an impromptu review of the Barbie movie at the end of this episode. Pretty please. Uh, sure thing, Willis. Uh, I did see the movie. I saw it opening, maybe maybe not opening night. I think maybe I saw it that opening weekend. Um, it was pretty good. Uh, I, I guess I will preface this saying, obviously, I'm a man. Um, and so, uh, you know, the th themes of girlhood or whatever don't hit me on an emotional level. Um, and that's not a detriment of the movie itself. I don't think movies should have to appeal to a universal audience. It is okay to have films that speak to a specific group of people. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of Asian American movies that I hold very close to my heart for like personal Asian American reasons. And I don't feel offended when other people don't get it. So, you know, putting that out there, you know, I did not have a strong emotional reaction to this movie and that might just be on me. Um, but the, the movie itself, you know, was fun. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of humor that, uh, I wasn't expecting. I got a lot of laughs out of it. Uh, I thought the kind of meta aspect of it was quite good. Of course, I love a practical set. Uh, I really appreciated, uh, all the practical sets, all the costuming, um, all the like, little quirks of like body language margot robbie uh utilized to make her feel like a doll um oh i should also say there's going to be spoilers uh during this impromptu review so if you are trying to avoid those stop now um i think on repeat viewings when you know the jokes are coming the movie has i don't think there's a lot left for the movie to fall back on for me um I think that it had a message and a theme that um, Gerwig and Robbie wanted to push through. And I think that got severely hamstrung by probably Hasbro, but maybe also uh, the studio. Um, what I mean by that is, uh, for example, probably my biggest criticism of the movie. Um, and I think a good example of the way this movie was hamstrung by um upper management of some sort, I don't know who exactly, is um, the Gloria and Sasha, the mother-daughter, their sort of character arc is not existent in this movie. Um, like, so we start with meeting Sasha, who's this, like, very jaded, cynical teen, uh, seems like she's maybe a little too on Twitter, um, who, like, has this rough relationship with her mother, um... Seem seemingly kind of stemming from just being a teenager and having attitude. But, you know, there's a disconnect between the daughter and the mother. And it's kind of set up like that is going to be Sasha's arc is reconciling with her mother through this adventure with Barbie, a toy her mother loved and that she used to love as a child and feels like she's grown past. Um, and then that doesn't happen. Uh, then they go on, some, they do some funny Ken bits. And then Sasha's like, but mom... You're great. Don't give up. Uh, sort of out of nowhere, there's we there's not really a, a build-up to that. It just sort of happens. I feel like there was probably a much longer bit involving Sasha and her mom that just got cut. Um, probably for time. Maybe for other reasons. Um, especially because at the very end of the movie, the actual like emotional cli climax of the movie, which I enjoyed, by the way. I like... Um, 
I'm talking about the part where Barbie talks to Ruth, um, and we get the film montage of like actually a lot of the cast and crew's baby uh, footage. It's family videos from the cast and crew actually they use there, and I think that's very sweet and touching. Um, but that whole moment, right, with Ruth saying things like "Mother, stand still" to see how far our daughters uh, will go, or whatever. Uh, sets up this like really strong resonant thing about motherhood and mother daughters, and so in a you know a completed story, right? That would have a direct parallel. That would be paralleling par- paralleling um, the Sasha Gloria relationship because that's an actual mother daughter relationship. Barbie Ruth is like a metaphorical mother daughter relationship, and so those two should tie together, and they just don't. It falls apart. Uh, that aspect. Um, I really wish it didn't, because I think that would have actually made the movie, um, would have raised the movie higher. Um, I think uh, in further rewatches had that emotional moment um, really sort of closed out the loop. It would have felt satisfying and I would have enjoyed it a lot more on rewatches. Um, there's also, the the character arcs in this movie are a little tough to deal with for me. Um, because it's sort of like Gloria and Sasha don't really have them. Gloria's like Gloria's arc is like she starts off as like, "Oh, I'm sad and anxious and I don't get along with my daughter." And then a bunch of stuff unrelated to her life happens, right, with Barbie, and then she's like, "Well, being a woman's hard, but that's that. Okay." And that's, like, that's the end of her arc. And then Sasha, as I said, starts as this jaded, cynical teen and then ends with, I guess, believing in... See, I can't even describe it. Like, she has a better relationship with her mom now. I don't... But she's not cynical anymore because we relearn sexism's real? I Like, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, You know what I'm saying? Um, and then Barbie's arc is she starts off, I'm stereotypical Barbie, every light, every day's a dream. Oh no, now I have thoughts of death. I gotta go resolve that. Now I've learned about womanhood. So I guess I want to be real. Um, it's just, it, it gets a little disjointed. I think the, I think, I think the Ruth Barbie speech is, or dialogue, uh, has so much emotional punch that like, it papers over a lot of those things I just spoke about, but like if you, well, I guess if I sit down and like actually try to analyze the film, those are the holes I'm going to where I'm saying these don't match up and they don't follow through. And so I'm missing something here. Um, my last thought is that uh, I love Will Ferrell as an actor. Uh, I think he does his niche very well. And I hear he's a very like cool guy. Uh, didn't like him in this movie, not necessarily for his acting choices, but um, just it it doesn't make any sense, right? That the that the all they like poke fun at the Mattel board for being all men, and but he's like, oh, but I'm the son of a mother and uh, you know, brother of a cousin or whatever he says. Um, but like it, it they can't actually critique the Mattel Corporation, uh, for being, uh corporation in america right um they're not allowed to do that because mattel's mattel owns this movie 
Um, and so it becomes very defanged, and they become the comic relief, and they become non-threatening in a way that fails the movie. Um, because you have all these themes of misogyny and um, the hardships of being a woman in society. And then, like, these goofuses, where it's like, so what's the issue? Is the issue patriarchy? But then these men over here don't represent that. Don't worry about that. I know he's the CEO of Mattel. He's not the problem, right? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, oh, that's the other thing. There's the, the, the feminist message of Barbie is fine. It's just fine. It's sh a little shallow for me. Um, but, you know, everyone needs an onboarding point, I guess. Uh, I wish it had been a little more subtle than having America Ferrera give a two-minute speech um, toward the end of the movie, but, uh, you know, I watched In Time starring Justin Timberlake, which is a shockingly uh, <laughs> communist movie um, where money's replaced by time, and they are so... Uh, they just smack you in the face with it over and over again. People, like, stop during this movie and explain to you the the metaphor. It's not a good movie. Um, but, you know, uh, as my friend said, some people need that. So that's neither here nor there, but that's part of my review as well, is that um, it's, it's, a, it's a shallow sort of introduction to feminism, but some, everyone's got to start somewhere. Some might start with the Barbie movie. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's everything I have to say about Barbie. It's like, overall, an enjoyable film. I enjoyed it. Um, I probably would not revisit it of my own volition. Um, I've seen it twice now, and that's probably as many times as uh, I really feel like I need to. I don't think I'm getting much more out of it uh, through subsequent rewatches. But uh, I'd give it like... I think I would have given it like an 8.5 out of 10 uh, after having just left the theater. And upon rewatching it, I probably would have given it like um, 6.5 out of 10, which is okay in my book. Um, 6 out of 10 is like your C, you know, it's like sort of average. It's like, it's not a bad movie, but um, it's not going into the rotation for me, you know? All right. Well, uh, we managed to spend like 20 minutes here talking about Barbie, I guess. Um, so if you enjoyed that, ask me uh, for other movie reviews, I guess. Um, in the meantime, um, I'm going to get out of here and I'll see you all next week. My name is Daniel and believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.